This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parsha Korach, the sting of accusation. Korach's rebellion was so deadly and so tragic because he and his allies met with resistance. When Korach confronted Moshe, Moshe could have ignored him. Korach's claim that Moshe and Aaron had elected themselves was false, and Moshe did not need to take it seriously. In fact, Aaron himself is silent throughout the episode, apparently unconcerned by Korach's baseless claims. However, Moshe responds directly and repeatedly, and in a way that escalates the level of confrontation. Had Moshe not engaged with Korach and his men, perhaps they would have disappeared of their own accord. So why does Moshe respond to them at all? Why doesn't he walk away? By understanding the nature of this confrontation and the response more clearly, we will also gain insight into the dynamics of cruel and harmful speech, Lashon Hara, which we will see does not only take place behind a person's back, but also to their face. Though he does engage, Moshe's first response to Korach is characterized by openness. Moshe does not argue that Korach's claim has merit, but he does feel that it is a challenge worthy of acknowledging and one that requires a response. They gathered against Moshe and Aaron, and they said to them, You have too much, for all of the people are holy and God is in their midst. Why do you arrogate yourselves over the congregation of God? Moshe heard, and he fell on his face. He spoke to Korach and his people, saying, In the morning, God will make known what is his, and he will bring the holy to himself. And the one whom he has chosen will sacrifice to him. This is what you should do, Korach and all of his people. Take fire pans and place fire in them, and place incense on the coals before God tomorrow. And the one whom God chooses is the holy. You have too much, sons of Levi. Moshe's tone here is firm but calm. He responds to Korach's challenge with the conviction that he and his brother have been chosen. He devises a test that will put Korach's claims to rest and resolve the confrontation without violence. In fact, immediately after Moshe presents this trial, he subtly urges Korach not to go through with it by trying to reason with him that he doesn't need to, that Korach already has enough status as a levy and doesn't need to demand more honor for himself. Moshe said to Korach, Sons of Levi, please listen. Is it too little for you that the God of Israel has distinguished you from all of the people of Israel to bring you close to him, to serve in the Mishkan's service, and to stand before the people to serve them? 
and now you have approached, along with all of your brothers, the sons of Levi, and you've also asked for priesthood? Therefore, you and your people who are standing against God in Aharon, what is it that you would complain about? Had the narrative ended here, we might have thought that Moshe was personally unmoved by this challenge and emotionally untouched. However, as the narrative continues, Moshe's calm and Moshe's confidence are shaken. He is personally attacked, and he responds by getting angry and defensive. Moshe sent to summon Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav, and they said, We will not go up. Is it not enough that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey in order to kill us in the wilderness? Did you also have to act with arbitrary authority over us? Moshe got very angry, and he said to God, Don't accept their offerings. I have not taken a single donkey from any of them, and I have not harmed any of them. Moshe said to Korach, You and all of your people should be before God tomorrow, you and they and Aharon. The shift in this passage is significant and highlights two very important elements of the test that Moshe devised. First, whereas before Moshe urged Korach to set aside the dispute, therefore obviating the need for him to show up for the test, here Moshe urges Korach and all of his allies to participate. Now Moshe wants them to participate in the contest, and he wants them to fail. Second, it now becomes clear that Moshe invented this test on his own. This is why he needs to ask God not to accept the incense brought by Korach's group. And Moshe only asks this now for one of two reasons. Either because before this point, Moshe actually thought it was possible that Korach was right. And he was prepared to accept the conclusion if Korach's incense was accepted by God. Or he simply did not think that the confrontation would ever take place. Perhaps Moshe thought that he could tell Korach to back down and that Korach would relent that once he stood up to him, Korach and his cronies would disappear. At this point, the focus of the story shifts from the audacity of Korach's claim to the severity of Moshe's reaction. Not only does he pray for Korach to fail in the initial test that he designed, but he creates a new violent reality in the case of failure. Moshe said, By this you will know that God has sent me to do these acts, and it is not my own idea. If these people die like people usually do, and they suffer the usual ultimate fate of people, God has not sent me. But if God creates a new creation, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them, and all that belongs to them, and they descend to the underworld alive, then you will know that these people provoked God. 
Though it is God who suggested a plague to destroy the rebellious and all the people who were associated with them, we see that it was Moshe himself who suggests that those who do not dissociate themselves will be swallowed alive. It is Moshe who determines that this is the appropriate proof for his status as God's emissary and the one chosen by God. What is it that so infuriates Moshe that he would invent such a specific and horrific punishment? When Korach approaches Moshe and Aaron, he asks, Why are you arrogating yourselves over the congregation of God? And when Datan and Aviram talk back to Moshe, they also accuse him of exercising arbitrary authority and making unfounded demands. The core claim of Korach, Datan, Aviram, and their followers is that Moshe is arrogant. But Moshe, we know, is anything but. God specifically praises Moshe for and defends his humility. And Moshe the man was exceedingly humble, more than any other person on the face of the earth. These claims of arrogance are not true, and it is the falseness of them that infuriates Moshe. If Korach had accused Moshe of anything else, perhaps Moshe would have been able to accept it. But Korach essentially said to Moshe, you are not who you think you are. I am denying your core identity. I know you better than you know yourself. This is borne out by the Meashiloach's reading of Moshe's claim. Why do you arrogate yourselves over the congregation of God? For in every soul of Israel, there is a good and dear core element that God has specifically granted to that soul. But in this world, it is clothed in something that appears as its opposite. Similarly, Moshe Rabbeinu, given that the verse testifies about him that he was exceedingly humble, his outward appearance was the opposite. And that is why they claimed against him that he wanted to be elevated above them. The Meshiloach's comment not only emphasizes that the core of Korach's claim was that Moshe was arrogant, he also states that this appearance of arrogance was in fact something that Moshe himself displayed. Korach was wrong about who Moshe was, but Korach had every reason to think that he was right. What Korach lacked was the ability to doubt his own perception, to choose to read Moshe charitably as humble, even when there were indications that Moshe was haughty. It is not incidental that the statement of Moshe's humility is God's response to Lashon Hara that was being spoken about Moshe by his siblings, Miriam and Aharon. This dynamic teaches us three critical lessons about Lashon Hara. First, the rabbis distinguish between two different types of evil speech. On the one hand, there is Moti Shemra, which is libelous slander. These are statements made by someone who knows that they are spreading harmful falsehoods and unfairly damaging someone else's reputation. Lashon Hara, on the other hand, is a term that refers to sharing narratives which are ostensibly true, but still harmful in some way. So the first lesson learned from Korach, as seen through the eyes of the Me'ashiloach, 
is that the distinction between Moti Shemra and Lashon Hara is actually not so clear. You may think that what you are saying is true, and therefore it is the lower form of Lashon Hara, innocent gossip and not malicious and false slander. But you don't actually know if you are reading the facts of a situation or a person's character correctly. Any statement that you make about someone is potentially slanderous. The second lesson to learn about Lashon Hara is that it does not need to be said behind a person's back in order to qualify. When Korach accuses Moshe of arrogance, even if no one hears him but Moshe, he is doing the damage that Lashon Hara does, constructing and spreading a harmful narrative. Moshe knows that it isn't true that he is trying to unfairly wrest away power, but this knowledge doesn't prevent him from having a negative reaction. As soon as Moshe hears the claim, he gets defensive about it. And his anger covers over how hurt and insulted he is. It simply doesn't matter if a negative reading of my behavior is true. Hearing it from someone else's mouth gives it emotional weight, makes one feel the need to respond to it. The third lesson is that Lashon Hara that is spoken to a person about themselves is the hardest to escape. It's a catch-22. If Korah claims that Moshe is trying to control the people and unfairly assert himself as their leader, and Moshe chooses not to respond, then Korah's claim looks true, since Moshe didn't even try to defend himself. The claim is proven by what is essentially an acquiescence through silence. If Moshe resists the libel and protests too much, that also makes him look guilty. Once the charge is aired, it is almost impossible for it to be escaped. This is what leads Moshe to devise supernatural tests to prove Aaron's right to the priesthood and to establish his own innocence. He felt that Korach left him no choice. Ironically, it is because Moshe is so humble that he is susceptible to the claim that he is arrogant. He is likely to assume the worst about himself. Korach's accusations stung Moshe and then lured him into taking an approach that caused this negative situation to escalate. We are always aware when we are lying and making up cruel stories about another person. We feel less guilty, but are only slightly less aware of the harm we are causing when the stories we share are true. We are often completely unaware of when we share narratives we consider to be true, but are in fact constructed by us and based on our own flawed perception. We almost never think about Lashon Hara's power to penetrate our conversations with one another, how harmful it can be to make an explicit or even implicit statement about someone's character to them. We need to be careful not only about the Lashon Hara that we know we are speaking about people, but also about the implicit Lashon Hara that we don't realize we are speaking, the subtle accusations that we make. When I make a statement about someone to them, I need to be completely sure that what I am saying is true. Yet only God knows if what I'm saying is true. Instead of being convinced of our own narratives and getting locked into our own harmful perspectives, we should be genuinely open to the possibility that we are reading incorrectly and always keep those readings to ourselves. In this way, we can learn about one another and really see each other as we are, without the need to posture, without the need to be defensive, without constantly feeling like we need to forcefully establish who we are. Wishing you a Shabbat of communicating uncertainty. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.